Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, another episode. Here we go. I'm Blaine Bartlett, your host, and I've got a guest today that I have been looking forward to speaking with uh, for some time. I first met uh, Stephen Tang. Uh, oh gosh, this uh, about six years ago, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood, when we were uh, doing a um, kind of a mastermind group uh, with uh, one of my partners. Um, in uh, Philadelphia, and I was absolutely, yeah, struck by not only the measure of the man, but yeah, the breadth and depth of his experience. Um, William and Mary, um, the university here, has just recently named him, particularly in the uh, the alumni magazine, as a uh, Renaissance man, and that does not justify or even do justice to to uh, you know, what Stephen brings to the table here. Um, he's, you know, over 40 years uh, has been working in the areas of healthcare and philanthropy innovation. And it's the innovation piece. It's actually uh, really, uh, I think, fascinating. Um, his titles he's held over this 40 year career, chairman of the board, chief executive officer, founder, owner. Um, yeah, you name it, he's done it, particularly at a senior level. Uh, he's served with governors. He served on national panels. Um, you know, we're going to have a fascinating conversation, folks. Uh, it's uh, just a real treat and honor to uh, be able to welcome Stephen Tang to the show. Steve, good to see you. Blaine, delighted to be with you. It's been too long, uh, but we'll catch up quickly here. <laughs> yes, we will. Yes, we will. Um, you know, you've got a new book coming out, and I want to be sure that we touch on this, and I don't want to... Uh, do a deep dive on it right now, but I do want to just position this because it's going to think uh, be seminal in terms of the ray, the you know what our conversation uh, conversation actually ends up becoming. The title of it is a test for our time: crisis leadership for the next normal. Now, I, I, this title is fascinating to me, and I'm going to you know, like I said, posit this right now, and then we're going to come back uh, in just a minute here. But in terms of the soul of business, which is the obvious working title of the program here, can you talk a little bit about, number one, what that evokes and where you see the new normal being when you think about the soul of business? Certainly, Blaine. Uh, so my book, A Test for Our Time, um, debuted in March uh, 2023, uh, earlier this year. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Um, the, the title, A Test for Our Time, is a play on words. Um, it's my memoir, and it is very much of a, I was in a tough spot and learned a lot kind of memoir about uh, leaving a company during the pandemic, um, but not just any company. Uh, it's a company called Orshore Technologies, which quickly developed a home COVID test 
not just any home COVID test. It's the one that Oprah Winfrey's company called the easiest test of its kind to use. Um, and as you can imagine, um, it meant rallying a lot of people to work in ways they had never worked before during the pandemic, keeping them all safe um, and productive. Um, it would not be something you would predict could happen during the pandemic, uh, but actually did. Um, and uh, it's also a, a leadership manifesto. Um, my anthem is lead whole people wholeheartedly. And I think just to bridge to uh, the soul of business, um, <clears throat> it's very much uh, a integrated composite view of leading mind, body and spirit uh, to achieve things uh, no one thought was be possible. So um, I think uh, our interests are very well aligned in terms of uh, the title and intent of our shows and our books. Um, and there's much, much more we can explore from there. You know, the idea of possibility, you know, what, what we never thought possible. Um, one of the ways that I frame leadership in the conversations that I have with my clients is leadership is actually the art as well as science, but mostly the art of uh, revealing possibilities for people in such a way that they go, I can't not have that. I don't know how I'm going to get it, but I can't not have that. Um, in the, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, when you were, um, you know, working with Orishore, um, and I worked with a lot of, uh, senior leaders in that period of time that were really struggling. I mean, the idea of, you know, we, we can't do what we did before. We can't do what we did before now. I'm not sure we can do what we did before tomorrow. What's the possibility for what we can do and how we can be? How did you work with your with your group, with your organization, with your, your, your staff and line employees to kind of keep them focused on what's possible in the midst of what we were experiencing? Yeah, I think if you take us back to March 13th, 2020, that's the day most of us shut down and um, people had to learn to do things um, in very fundamental ways, um, live safely, work safely, et cetera. So, um, I, in the book, I use the analogy of, um, you know, Mark Watney, the, the astronaut in the Martian, uh, marooned on Mars. And I think in, we were all very much marooned on Mars. Um, <clears throat> the difference was while Mark Watney had folks coming to help him, right? Um, and there was a um, uh, mission control, um, CEOs like myself um, couldn't go out and help every single person. Uh, we were essentially marooned on our own right, right? So right. I think a lot of it, Blaine, was recognizing uh, what I what I called um, um, yeah, um, tragic optimism, okay? <laughs> I love and that. What I mean by right. that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, what I mean by that is is recognizing and being honest that we are all in a dire situation. And yet, and there are possibilities. Um, so, Obviously, there are the hard business things that you do, which are develop strategies, develop financial plans, product development plans, things like that. But I think uh, the soul of it uh, began when I started writing to my employees every week, uh, what we called Monday Motivational Messages. Um, and they started off kind of company newsletter-ish, okay? Mm -hmm. But then they, they quickly evolved into, hey, I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And I don't think anybody else knows, but I think we can do this. 
Okay. And I think it also had to do with subscribing to a higher cause. You know, we all wanted to get back to normal, to the pre-pandemic yep. normal. And we knew that if we were able to do, develop an effective test uh, that everyone could use easily, that would go a long way in getting everybody and ourselves, you know, back to normal. So it wasn't hard to persuade folks that that was a good thing to do. Uh, it was a harder thing to persuade folks that we could do it. Tiny company, you know, the giants in our industry, Abbott, 1,000 times more employees than Orshore had. Um, even Quidel, which is uh, also a competitor, five to six times as many employees. So we were very much the underdog. Um, and I, and uh, I very much wanted people to know that I, I, I think we can do this, a little train that a little engine that could, yeah. um, but I would need their help to make it happen. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's, <clears throat> there's a saying, which you've, you've no doubt heard, which is hope is not a strategy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I'll agree with that. I mean, you shouldn't, you should not have a strategy that relies on, on chance. Right. But hope is an effective way to pull people together. Yes. Um, and I describe strategy as the overlap between capability and opportunity. If people bring their, their whole selves uh, to work every single day, they will be more capable. And so if you're more capable, you have a more, more of a chance of actually executing your strategy. So mm -hmm. hope is not a strategy, but hope is absolutely necessary if you're trying to do extraordinary things that have never been done before. I love that distinction. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to yeah, come back to what you, you know, labeled uh, the beginning here, tragic optimism. Um, you know, the, the Stoics have got a, and I, you know, I forget the actual Latin phrase for this, but it is a recognition of reality as it's pre being presented to me right now yes. without, uh, I wish it could have been different. I mean, you know, it could have, would have, should have sort of a thing here, but just the recognition that, yeah, yeah, this is fate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we've got right now. And, and there was always the end with the Stoics. What are we doing next? Which is where you drop in hope. What are we doing next? And the idea here, and you know, this was my language for it, the for the sake of what, when you start putting in, you know, optimism, uh, if we're going to do this, you know, this is where we're at right now, but for the sake of what might this possibility you know, come into play for the sake of what does it, uh, open, you know, what, what possibilities open up when we start looking at it, for, you know, in the, in the context of for the sake of what, what does it make possible? What do I get to do, be, or have? Those sorts of things. And I think, you know, just as I heard you speaking there, Steve, the idea of um, literally profound honesty, uh, you know, moving from you know, a newsletter you know, ish format to, guys, I, I, I don't know where we're you know, going to, you know, what we're going to do to get out of this. And, and the, the conjunction, and I know that we can do this. So I need your help in figuring out what the, this is that we're going to be doing. So with that kind of a preamble, where did the idea for the test come from? Well, Orshore um, is is a best kept secret company. Okay, most mm -hmm. people don't recognize that that in 2012, uh, the company created uh, and uh, and received FDA approval for the first home test for HIV. Um, 
and the only one that they've 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 approved right and it's it's done with oral fluid so it's it's based on saliva uh so it's very easy to use um to do it in the privacy of your own home is is very important when you're um, self-diagnosing hiv HIV, right um there's a tremendous amount of shame and stigma associated with hiv so it's a very sound concept so um believe it or not uh, it, it, when the pandemic hit, it was still the only infectious disease test approved for home use um, really? in history. That's right. So we had a what we call predicate. So there was so it's there's a there, we have a background. We had a capability we knew we could tap into. Um, now, there are many differences between testing for HIV and testing for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But we had a good background to start with. OK. And um, so we. We had discussions early on, and thankfully, I had a cadre of folks in R&D who uh, kept paid close attention to the literature about COVID-19, and they thought we could do this. And so what we effectively did was parlay a $600,000 grant from an agency called BARDA, um, part of the U.S. uh, Health and Human Services, um, eventually into over $600 million dollars in orders from the government for our test. So let me let me put that in perspective. <laughs> well, up until the, the pandemic, Orshore had sold roughly 80 million tests like our HIV test. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called Um Now the company has the capability, and by the way, that's, that's 80 million tests over its 20-year history, okay? Today, the company has the capability of producing 80 million tests every single year. Wow. So that's a major transformation for any company, uh, but this one in particular. So um, <clears throat> this was a game changer in many ways. <clears throat> and so um, there were many breathless moments. Uh, there were many moments where we didn't know how this was going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> typically dealing with the FDA is a known process before you start developing a product. Uh, but we took great risks by ourselves to do so, not knowing what the requirements would be. So there are a whole host of challenges, beginning with the innovation of the product, to the actual use of the product, to the actual manufacturing and sell of the product that we had to overcome all during a pandemic. Um, and getting people to rally together um, for the sake of what? Well, if it was the forsake of global public health and to get our own lives back to normal. Yeah. Okay, there's nothing more motivating than enlightened self-interest, right? <laughs> and we knew that yeah. testing was going to be a way out for all of us. And so... Um, you know, this is a, this is a heroic story, but the heroes of the story are the, the people of Orishore. Uh I'm just the megaphone for what they did um, and, and hopefully contributed um, by caring deeply about them as people. And that's where the phrase lead whole people wholeheartedly comes from. It became impossible for me as an CEO to distinguish the people who were, you know, doing work for me from the people who were struggling th- from the pandemic. Um, day in and day out. <clears throat> and so it, it required a more pastoral view of leadership, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, and, and ironically, as we all know, if you had some spiritual basis or, or faith basis uh, in your life, that was shut down to the pandemic too. I mean, churches closed. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was hard to access. And so um, as a CEO, um, I was uh, intentional about bringing the mind, body, and spirit into play here because I knew people needed that comfort and um, and that wholeness to their life 
in order to perform maximally. And the root of it was, you know, trust, care, compassion. Um, and then the, you know, the, the harder business terms, you know, empowerment, accountability, uh, engagement, all those things have to flow through from the trust, uh, caring and compassion, and they have to be genuine. Yeah, they have to be genuine. Yeah, not seen as a means to an end, but just as something that is being present human to human. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, and I love that phrase, leading whole people wholeheartedly. To get to the point of uh, having somebody be a experience themselves being a whole person at work, um, that's an interesting challenge, I think, uh, particularly in that period of time that, you know, that we're referencing here. Um, because I also experience it being a very big challenge just generally, because that's not what a lot of leaders pay attention to. Um, there's two questions that I'm, you know, that are kind of running around in my head here. One of them's pretty well formed. The other one's ill-formed and I'll get to it in a minute here. But the idea of moving from 80 million tests over 20 years to 80 million tests a year, there's some scaling implications that... Certainly. <laughs> that seem to be present here. Um, so while I'm thinking about this second question, can you talk a little bit about how you, yeah, in the midst of a pandemic where safety protocols are being invented as you know, kind of on the move, we're trying to you know, run the sails up as the boat is moving and maybe even replacing the mast while the boat is moving. Um, how did you manage to scale this you know, enterprise to be able to handle that kind of volume? while in the midst of all of the stuff that was going on and keeping your people safe? Well, that was an in-depth discussion um, led by the management team and then which ultimately required board approval. All right, mm -hmm. so it had to be um, it, it, the, the magnitude of the investment we were talking about to make this happen was enormous. And so we had to have board approval to get there. So we all had to um, bring our A game to make that a compelling, convincing uh, business case. Um, and we're able to do that. Now, part of the uh, means to the madness, if you will, is that we ended up demolishing the corporate offices and creating new manufacturing lines with that space. Um, so it was there was some delicious irony uh, since we all couldn't come to the office um, it wasn't being used. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, if you look at the difficulty of commissioning new facilities with FDA approval, it always makes sense to work with space that's already been approved by FDA, um, that can be commissioned for some other purpose. And so we made the decision to do that. Um, and as a result of that, I actually lost my office as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the, one of the running jokes was that um, when we finally commissioned the new facilities for, for manufacturing, the expansion, um, the quality control labs were in the space that were formerly my offices. And so I equipped, um, finally, there's quality work being done in that space in that building. <laughs> That's great. You know, the, the idea of innovation, uh, innovation is not the same as invention. Uh, in innovation is connecting the dots in a new way, you know, but the dots already existed. So being able to take a, 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 a FDA approved site and recommission it in a different way. I mean, that's, 
you talk about an innovative approach to a challenge uh, of scalability here. And I'm marking that out for you, you folks that are listening here because scalability uh, oftentimes is a question that I get from entrepreneurs. Yeah, how do we scale this thing? Well, you, you don't have to invent new things to do it. <laughs> you, you start, you know, you know, what was it, Vincent Van Gogh? Or not, no, it was, um, uh, uh, oh, goodness gracious, painter. Uh, uh, <laughs> Monet, Claude Monet. In order to see something differently, I have to let go of the name that I was using to describe it to begin with. The name becomes a box. So, yeah, it's not an office. It's now... Yeah, you start looking at that through that lens and you start, and this is, I think, where innovation can really begin to come into play in a very interesting way. Um, we're going to take a real quick break here, Stephen. When we come back, what I want to do, and I've got this other question that's actually just <laughs> kind of gelling in my mind right now. Um, and it has to do with yeah, how you got people to bring their whole selves to the, the, you know, the, the possibility. So when we come back, folks, we're going to uh, resume this conversation. I am looking forward to getting more information here very specifically, and we'll, we'll, we'll get this uh, tied down in a pretty bow before we end. Okay, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not, are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is, are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Welcome back, folks. And I want to pick up where we left off. Um, the idea of leading whole people wholeheartedly, uh, the, you know, just the notion of a whole person showing up at work, really is almost an oxymoron in, in, in my experience of the ways that many organizations work, because we tend to put people in boxes and those boxes sound like roles and responsibilities. So it you know, kind of precludes. Yeah, I, I remember a long time ago, Steve, I was sailing in the British Virgin Islands and we had some engine difficulties. And we were on one side of Tortola, you know, the big island there. And 
so the marina sent a workman over the mountain and uh he's you know came with his little toolbox and he's down in the uh engine area of the boat and he's whistling and he's just kind of doing all kinds of stuff i looked in and said yeah that's really interesting and he was he was doing some stuff with the carburetor i'm not sure what it was but i said that is interesting and he looked up at me and said they don't pay me to think but sometimes i do <laughs> and I never forgot that. And the engine ran great from then on out. But this idea of bringing the whole person to to work, uh, what was the what was the spark that uh, kind of number one created that meme in your in your mind, but also enabled yeah. that to happen? How did how did it actually transpire? Well, I I think it naturally came out of leading in the pandemic. Um, you know we. Your, your your employees um, have to survive uh, to be able to do productive work for you. I mean, you know, I think that yeah. that's obvious, right? Um, but first and foremost, in the pandemic, was insisting that everybody kept themselves and their families um, safe and well, right? So if we start with that premise, mm -hmm. then you're starting with before you even start working, making sure that you are healthy is the number one priority. Mm -hmm. And we were unwavering in that commitment. Um, and as a result of that, we had very few infections. Um, and particularly since we were asking folks in operations, so manufacturing supply chain and in R&D to come into uh, the, the laboratories and the factories day in and day out. And remember, we were ramping up to three shifts. So we're hiring people, we're bringing them in and so inherently, there's got to be trust in each other that that, you know, you're not doing anything to endanger my health and I'm not doing anything to endanger your health. So it's pretty basic at that level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so so how did it how did it get implemented? Well, um, when I was a consultant back in the 90s, um, one of the firms I worked for had a trust formula. And it's very simple. Trust is equal to credibility times intimacy divided by risk. All right. So what do the terms mean? Well, credibility means um, there's there's no say do gap. What you say is what you do. And I can I can trust that part because you are reliable. Right. Um, intimacy means I trust you because I know you have my back. Mm -hmm. I know you have my interest, best interests in mind. So when you're in a highly risky situation, so that denominator is very large. The only way that trust can be high and, and sort of um, meet the challenge of a risky situation is if your credibility and your intimacy soar. And so that's what I had to do as a leader is to make sure that people knew that I had their back, that I was I was protecting them as much as possible and that we we're all going to set lofty goals and we we're going to hold each other accountable to do so. Mm -hmm. So that's the origin of the whole people. Uh, leading whole people part, you know, yeah. we're, we're all in together. And by the way, very few people could distinguish between their personal and professional lives during the pandemic. I mean, you know, we're all in the same house 24 yeah. seven, you know, dogs barking, kids, kids, you know, uh, trying to, to go to school in front of a TV screen, which probably didn't work that well. Right. And, right. you know, two, um, two working parents, it was just, kind of a mess, basically. So I think leaders had to accept the fact that they were leading people through this Byzantine sort of um, world that they lived in where personal and professional lives merged together, right? 
So you had to respect the fact that they were whole people and, and to, to begin with. And then on top of that, you're asking to do extraordinary things. So that's the origin there. Mm -hmm. Wholehearted, uh, wholeheartedly comes back to the, the mind, body, and spirit. And that comes back to trust. And so if, if I can account for all those dimensions, uh, mind, body, and spirit, um, and, you know, since, since I was paying people to think, <laughs> uh, the mind was an important part of it, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the body you know, had, you know, we, we had to take care of our bodies and, you know, look at the prevalence today of mental health challenges that we're still dealing with as a result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So the spirit and the mind come together. I think, uh, when you consider how to keep, um, people, um, uh, together, not only surviving, but also thriving and flourishing. And I don't think we could have done it without considering, um, wholehearted leadership. You know, and, and you raise an interesting point there. There is a distinction between surviving and actually being able to thrive and, and flourish. Um, but I can't get to thrive and flourish until survival is handled. And survival, yeah, if people experience themselves in survival, uh, they're contracted. Uh, they're uh, you know, myopically <laughs> cautious. Yeah. yeah. And it really is about self. Being able to move that environment, uh, you know, there's a there's an interesting phrase that I play with a lot: uh, ontological design, uh, designing the environment so that it designs me in return. So there's a reciprocity in that piece. So what it sounds to me, and I'm just going to kind of throw this out here just uh, to check my thinking here, it sounds like what you did uh, from an environmental perspective, and I don't mean just physical space, but you know, the the gestalt of environment. Uh, how we're working with each other, you know, the how we're doing, you know, all that sort of stuff. You designed it in a way that, number one, created the experience of safety, but also, you know, you had an inspirational component in play. You know, what are we moving towards, not, or what, not which is different than what are we dealing with? Yes. So that, that ontology, and this is the checking out piece here, People actually feel better. How do how do people feel about themselves when they're in our presence? They felt they felt safe. They felt inspired. They felt uplifted. They felt like I want to engage. They felt productive. They felt creative. Now those are my labels, but yes. would that match kind of your experience of what was going on? Absolutely. So, in the book, I described it as collective effervescence, right? And and I love to me, turn the phrase. That's great. <laughs> To me, that's that's the confluence of the company's strategy, which I describe as you know the overlap between capability and opportunity, right? Uh -huh. So if you're in the sweet spot of your strategy, then you have relatively large overlap between your capabilities and your market opportunities, and that 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 means that you know if we can execute, we can do this. Okay, mm -hmm. um, you you are probably very familiar with the term ikigai, which is the, the Japanese way yep. of looking at, um, you know, your purpose in life. And so it's almost a perfect alignment from the personal view of ikigai to the large corporate view of strategy. And when that alignment is, is you know, forms an eclipse, if you will, between, mm -hmm. um, between the bodies, uh, it's a very powerful thing. Um, and so uh, I think that's what we experience. And you know, as, as I said earlier, it, it wasn't hard to imagine that what we were doing was going to be consequential to the world and to ourselves. And so ultimately, I think um, your, 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 your phrase matches 
what happened at Orshore because the personal became universal and the universal became personal. Yeah. And in that reciprocity, yeah, it, it can't not yes. build uh, at that point in time. So um, <clears throat> you're right now, you've been reappointed to the National Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Um, can you talk a little bit about the work that that council is, is chartered with doing and how you actually see that uh, uh, supporting the work that you're doing, yeah, at this point in time going forward. Right. So I actually was reappointed um, back in 2016 and mm -hmm. my term ended in, two, in uh, I'm sorry, 2018 and my term ended in 2020. 20. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, and that work, it was, it was basically to advise the U.S. Secretary of Commerce. Yeah. Um, and we went through an administrative change um, between Penny Prisker, who was uh, Barack Obama's Secretary of Commerce, uh, and then um, uh, uh, I can't remember it's Wilbur um, Wilbur Ross, who became Wilbur the Ross, Secretary yeah. of Commerce under under uh, under Trump. Yes. Um, so there was an entirely different, um, I think, flavor in that administrative just a, change. Just a and little. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Right um, now. Just fast forward, because I still keep in touch with the, the folks that are currently on NACI, the National Advisory Council of Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Right now, I think they are very focused on the type of industrial policy um, that the current Secretary of Commerce, uh, the former governor of, of Rhode Island, um, is, is working on. So you see that in play out in the CHIPS Act, which is a national policy to uh, make sure that um, our national security is preserved by developing our own semiconductors and things mm -hmm. like that. So you're seeing much more of that play out in terms of policy today um, than uh, where I left the story back in, in, in uh, mm -hmm. 20, uh, 20, 2018 to 2020. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I am one who believes that there are good people in private industry and there are good people in government. And um, if we uh, can bridge that gulf between how the public se public sector thinks of things and the private sector thinks of things, I think we're in much better shape um, in terms of um, you know solving the big issues of our time, um, like climate change and um, you know clean energy and uh, you know the remarkable work that went into making novel vaccines with mRNA technology. So there's a whole wide berth in terms of innovation and public policy that have to come together. Yeah, I love that. Um... As we you know, kind of get close to wrapping up here, um, yeah, the idea of, yeah, and you were just recently, I mean, you've got a number of op-ed pieces that are published in the Wall Street Journal, The Hill, yeah, public, you know, uh, a number of different national uh, outlets here. But you're also a Distinguished Alumni Award for inter, uh, Entrepreneurship winner, yeah, from Lehigh University. Um, you're, you're, and I'm mentioning this, you know, William and Mary, as well as Lehigh. Yeah, most of your, I can't use this word advisedly, most of your notoriety is, is actually, you know, you know East Coast, uh, you know, you know in, in the Northeast in particular. You've got some very fascinating footprints uh, on, a, on a national and international level. So where I'm going with this question is, you know, what do you see on the horizon next for you? 
and this is a personal question and feel free to kind of riff however you'd like to on that. But I'm just personally curious because I want to be able to support whatever it is that you're doing in a way that uh, best uh, resonates with you and what it is that you're up to. Well, I appreciate it, uh, Blaine. I think our missions are aligned in that uh, what I'm trying to do is create a movement um, towards wholehearted leadership. Mm-hmm. And I have a sense that you are proclaiming the virtues of a similar construct in your work as well. Yeah. So uh, if I can spread the word far and wide uh, by writing, uh, by speaking, uh, by creating platforms which companies for companies to explore wholehearted leadership and the value of it, um, that's what I'd love to do. Uh, and I've begun doing that um, uh, as a professional speaker, uh, but also I continue to blog uh, once or twice a week, yeah. um, you know, my passions right now are doing that, um, playing a role in in, um, in transforming higher education. That's why I'm a trustee at Lehigh University and I'm a trustee at uh, the Wayne Mary Foundation. Um, I'm also a board member of Population Services International, which is a global NGO devoted towards public health uh, with a large focus on women's health, um, uh, reproductive health, um, pub- set public um, health and sanitation, uh, eradicating diseases like HIV and malaria and the like. Um, and so um, those are the things that uh, I'm devoting my life to uh, in my uh, in the next chapter. I love it. I love it. So where can people find out more, uh, Steve? I, I know, you know tang.ceo is is one of the websites. You've that's got a website profile yes. that's pretty, uh, pretty extensive. Uh, anything yes. other than that at this point? No, I, I blog frequently on my LinkedIn page. So um, okay. please come join me, connect with me there. And uh, you mentioned the website, uh, www.tang.ceo. Uh, and uh, I'd love to have you and uh, the folks that you attract uh, on my journey as well. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely in harness with you. <laughs> no question about that. And folks, I want you to pick up a copy of the book, uh, A Test for Our Time, Crisis Leadership for the Next Normal. The next normal. Yeah. And normal is always a fascinating word to me. Uh, I, mean, I just I'm not sure where normal fits. Yeah. in uh, a lot in today's world. So, yeah, we just kind of play with it and we see where we end up. So, um, Stephen, I want to thank you very much and uh, taking the time and, uh, you know, just kind of you know, being here and being who you are. I know uh, I, I came across a quote the other day that nothing remains as it was. And if you actually know this, you can begin again with pure joy in the uprooting. And it's the joy in the uprooting that I celebrate that you're making possible. So, folks, pick up the book. Check out Stephen Tang at tang.ceo. And uh, you will not be disappointed. I'll guarantee it. I've uh, I've been on the website. It's it's number one. It's really constructed well. It's easy to navigate, but there's a ton of data there. There's a ton of stuff there. So check it out and uh, check out my website too. Just uh, as a little segue here, uh, uh, learn.blainebartlett.com is uh, the resource page. Blainebartlett.com is uh, just kind of the general purpose. Uh, uh, website that uh, will lead you to learn.blainebartlett.com if you really poke around in it. And we've got a number of things there for you to play with. And until next time, um, this is the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett, and you've been uh, listening to Stephen Tang. Take care, and we'll see you on the next episode.
I'd like to uh, ask you to do something for me, if you wouldn't mind. If you like this episode, I'd like you to uh, not only subscribe uh, on your favorite site, but I'd also like you to uh, give a rating. Uh, ideally, a, a five-star rating would be you know, greatly appreciated. But I think more importantly also would be just uh, some uh, comments. Uh, that helps with the algorithm and it helps build the, uh, the audience with this. And more than anything else, if you could um, invite somebody else to listen, just share this episode with a friend, with a colleague, and uh, I'd like to see how we can grow the soul of business. I think it makes a difference. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.